is Something Wicked, where each week we will be discussing topics on true crime, haunted histories, and all things paranormal. This week we're going to be talking about David Parker Ray, the toy box killer. And welcome to yet another exciting and long episode where we don't leave any of the tidbits out because this season has been filled with some of the most gruesome and dark killers. And this guy is on another level. This is going to be sick from the beginning. Just a fair warning. Dude's whole life was messed up. He was into some really twisted shit. Like he was jigsaw with a sadomasochism and bestiality kink, which ended up getting him diagnosed as a paraphiliac which is a psychosexual disorder characterized by abnormal sexual desires, typically involving extreme or dangerous activities. I know. Listen, again, your girl don't kink shame. Trust me. I'm one of the last people to do that. But there's a line in the sand, and I think kidnapping 80 to 100 women to live out your violent dungeon porn fantasies should be the stick that draws it. <laughs> I apologize for the beginning with the humming. I just, but for some reason, like this, because of this guy, like I have Psycho Killer stuck in my head. Like, you know the song, Psycho Killer, kiss, kiss, say, fa, 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 better. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just in a really upbeat mood today, even though we're about to dive into some really evil stuff. Fuck it. <laughs> I do want to apologize for the delay of posting this episode, but we have a lot of ground to cover. So this episode is actually going to be my very first two-parter. Part one is out obviously today, and part two will be coming hopefully by the end of this week. <laughs> so you'll have a couple days of anticipation. <laughs> had to do that saw the opportunity i took it so like i say in the beginning let's get it (laughs) david parker ray was born in Balin, new mexico on november 6 1939 to his parents cecil and nettie he also had a younger sister named peggy who we don't know much about besides that she was the polar opposite of her brother quick factoid Balin is actually the Spanish term for Bethlehem, so I find it ironically funny that this evil bastard was born there. (laughs) Cecil, his father, was an aggressively abusive alcoholic, and his mother was just not involved much in her kids' lives at all. Cecil would beat the shit out of David constantly, and when he wasn't doing that, he would give David copies of his porno mags. Yes, they existed back in the 40s, and the ones Cecil had were copies of what was called Bazaar, which were the bondage and fetish magazines back then. So David was exposed to the lifestyle from a very young age. This routine would continue until David turned 10. Cecil then just left the family and moved to Albuquerque because he didn't want to be a husband and father anymore, leaving his almost non-existent wife with the two kids. Nettie, their mother, decided that she didn't have it in her to raise them anymore, so she dropped them off with their grandparents, who I believed were Cecil's parents. Yeah, Cecil's. There was a rumor going around, of course can't prove nor dispute, that his grandma was sexually abusive to him and couldn't get excited unless she was beat, so she would make David beat her before she abused him. Blech. 
In the meantime, his grandfather was an overly strict Christian fundamentalist that demanded perfection and obedience from his grandchildren. If they got out of line in his eyes in any way, he would beat them, even in public. One of David's childhood friends had told a reporter at one point, quote, his grandfather was very, very strict. He came from the old school where you'd have to be tough to survive. If his grandfather wanted David to do something, he'd jump. Maybe in today's terms, he would be abusive, but we called it being strict, end quote. Yeah, okay. There is a big difference between discipline and abuse. In my opinion, things like spanking, putting your kids in the corner for time out, that, that's discipline. Things like beating the hell out of your kids at home or in public every time they said no to you or talk back, that's abuse. <laughs> so at school, he also got beat up and picked on because he was tall for his age and because he kept to himself and was this huge loner, save a couple of friends. So he was getting bullied and beat at both home and school. So no real escape from any of that. When he was 13, Peggy found violent pornographic mags in his room that he wasn't really trying to hide because he didn't care that anyone knew what he was into. This is when his darker side started to really come out. So where he lived at at the time, apparently it was cool for the kids in school to brag about the crimes they committed. So when he told his buddies that he murdered a girl, they were just like, sweet dude, how'd you do it? What happened? <laughs> this was in 1954 in New Mexico. So a lot of rural and farming land, not much to do to keep people entertained. So I guess the more bizarre shit that happened, the better. I mean, which would you rather hear more about? How much your corn is grown this season or a murder? <laughs> but anyway, he told his friends that he was just out walking around one night and he saw this girl riding her bike. She thought he was cute. He was supposed to have been attractive as a teenager, I guess, and wanted to talk to him. So they went into the woods to walk and talk together. Then this kid pulls out a knife and rope from his backpack, like, surprise, and ties her to a tree and tortures her to death. This was never reported. No missing girl. No body found. This gone is just some story that was told to his buddies. By 15, he developed a fetish for broken bottles and had a stash of them in a makeshift dungeon in the woods that he built. Okay. <laughs> He didn't really do anything else until after he graduated, which he got by on the skin of his teeth with low D's across the board, by the way. When he did graduate, he enlisted in the army and got honorably discharged for his time served, which wasn't very long, like a couple of years. There's really nothing I found at all of his time in the army, so I couldn't tell you about that. He got married in his early 20s, divorced her after a short period, got married again and divorced again, then got married to his third wife at 27 and moved to Albuquerque. Jesus, dude, this isn't a sample plate. Like you're Cusco trying to pick a woman, hate your hair, not likely, and let me guess, you've got a great personality. Like, what the hell, dude? <laughs> anyway, his new wife's name was Glenda, and they had a daughter named Glenda Jean Ray, who would go by the nickname Jay's... Uh, Jay-Z. Jay yeah, Jesus Christ. Jesse. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and she plays a major role in this, so I'm just going to call her that for the remainder. It's Jesse. <laughs> David was still not particularly careful about his smut mags or his lifestyle and shit he was into um, at home either. Like his father. 
and would just leave his magazines lying around in the open for his wife and daughter to see. He tried to do the settling down thing and gave it a go for about three years, then decided to run off with the hippies in 1969. (laughs) He moved around in caravans, living on the road. Then he met this 17-year-old girl named Sally, who he started a relationship with. Sally ended up confiding in one of her acquaintances, who was the wife of a gas station owner that they were staying with at the time, that she lost her virginity to David and ended up pregnant. The wife didn't think much of this until one day they noticed that Sally and all of her possessions were just gone. They asked David about it, and he was just like, well, you know her, she's a free spirit, so she moved to a different town. They thought it seemed a little out of character for Sally from what they knew of her, and especially if she was pregnant, but they accepted his answer and just moved on. Because, I guess, you know, hippies do that. (laughs) I don't know. After about a year or two, David quit being a hippie and wanted to give the husband and father thing another go. So, he moved back home with his wife and daughter. This did not work out. Between him continuing his activities, letting Jesse get exposed to graphic porn, which unfortunately she ended up getting into herself, and an unhealthy worship of her father, and the fact that he divorced Glenda, got married two more times, and decided that the married life just wasn't for him. Because he just is this indecisive idiot. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So he moved to... um, Elephant Butte Lake in New Mexico, which is a duster town made up of mostly 65 plus age group and only 1,300 people in about 700 homes. Nothing happened there. Even when the homes were like super far apart. So like there's no neighborly activities. There's no, there's nothing. It's just like this big duster town. The only thing that they had going for them there was it was a national park and had this huge lake, but the lake itself was super deep caked in algae. So you couldn't see shit and overpopulated by flathead catfish, which are about three to four feet long and can weigh in excess 80 to over a hundred pounds. They also happen to be vapid omnivores that will decimate and eat everything they come into contact with plants, other fish, even people. So no swimming for anyone because, you know, killer fish. Fuck. (laughs) Jesse was now living with him and David got a job for the Elephant Butte State Park as a mechanic, fixing a lot of cars and sailboats. He saved up enough money to get his own sailboat and would take it out every weekend to go fishing or explore the lake. He started making friends in the area who he invited on his trips out and throw little get-togethers on the boat. He would brag about how he knew every inch of the lake, where the catfish were, what areas were deep or shallow, which were the most turbulent or hectic, which area had the most algae, yada yada. He really just liked to hear himself talk about it. There was one instance when he was out on the boat with his friends and he asked them, hypothetically of course, where in the lake they would dump a body. They said that they would find the deepest spot and that they would tie the body to something heavy then dump it. Like put cement on their feet or something. Like in the mob movies so they could be sleeping with the fishes. (laughs) So they turned it around and were like, well where would you dump one Dave? And he got all puffed up and confident with his answer and said that first he would cut the body open to release the gases because dead bodies have a buildup of them right after death. 
Then fill the cavity with stones because it's more likely to find stones in the lake than cement and it'll sink. Wrap the body in chicken wire and throw it in the lake to let the catfish finish it off. So even if the cops were to scour the lake, all they would find is chicken wire and stones, which is common in that area. Wow, dude. Like, (laughs) I do have to applaud him on that one. It was well thought out, and I have never heard of anything that complex when it comes to body disposal. Like, not in any of the documentaries or movies. Like, that's that's unique. I mean, yeah, d- dude's evil, but that's just, that's fascinating. And apparently his friends thought so, too. They admired his thinking and just continued the conversation like it wasn't a big deal. David was known in the town to be well-respected and an all-around nice guy. He even would take the time whenever he found an injured animal on the job or wherever he was out and take it home to nurse it back to health, no matter the cost. Mind you, this dude does not meet the serial killer trifecta whatsoever. There are three, according to the FBI. Um, It's if you wet the bed, set fires, or abuse animals. And he didn't do any of these, which in my opinion makes him all the scarier when you think about it. He just seemed like so normal to everyone. Yeah, I know so did people like Ted Bundy, but he met two of the three of the trifecta and he would even like put knives in his grandma's bed when he was a kid. So he had early warning signs. The only thing off about David was his weird fetishes. Um, Speaking of that, he delved more into the BDSM community, which not only was hard to find in that town because of the type of area he was in, but also extremely shunned at the time, which I believe was in 1986. I mean, it still is kind of today, but people are starting to understand it more rather than just going, you're the devil for being part of it. Unpronounced to the people in the town, as well as his fellow kinksters, he was already kidnapping and torturing girls for his twisted fantasies especially girls around 12 to 13 years old because he had a preference for their particular anatomy then after he would drive with jesse and his victim two hours south to the mexico border and sell them into the sex trade for more if not worse torture and even better jesse was part of it she would rape and torture these girls right along with dad because she felt that they connected on that level yeah the only time she had any shred of conscious was when she was 19 years old so she took a minute and thought hey you know maybe it's not a good thing that we're doing this and i want to find out if my dad or me will get into some kind of trouble so she just went straight to the fbi and told them everything how her dad would kidnap girls and torture them for weeks to months and then sell them to the sex trade in mexico when he was tired of them they jumped all over this of course and immediately brought in the now 47 year old david for questioning and you'd think he'd feel betrayed and would keep his mouth shut or lie his ass off. No, he just smiled and laughed like all the way through the interrogation and telling them not only that what Jesse said was true, but in enthusiastic, gruesome detail, everything he did to them. And the FBI let him go. (laughs) 
So, little known tidbit about the sex trade in Mexico. Mexico is an origin, transit, and destination for sex trafficking and a global industry that earns about $150 billion a year. It is considered to be modern-day slavery and is, according to the FBI, quote, recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, or obtaining of a person for the purpose of a commercial sex act, end quote. It is the third largest trade in Mexico, seconded to the drug and gun trades, and they tend to target people in low-income communities with little to no education and lure their victims by promising things like a better life with more money, romantic relationships, and or blackmail. The most high risk for the trade are women, accompanied minors, natives, people with disabilities, members of the LGBTQIA plus community, and, and immigrants. Victims are drugged, raped, mentally abused, tortured, and or murdered. Survivors usually end up experiencing really bad mental health problems and sexually transmitted diseases from the trauma and getting passed around so often. And they live this way usually until the end of their lives, whether it's natural or murder. And a good number of girls that David kidnapped went through this after months of being tortured and raped by him, his friends, his daughter, and his dogs. Yeah. So <sighs> getting back to the FBI, just letting him peace out, essentially, they couldn't legally do anything because there was no evidence of the crimes no bodies. So he was free and they didn't track him or anything. So he continued this routine for the next 13 years. He sold them into slavery because one, he made a metric fuck ton of cash doing it. And two, if there was no bodies, there was no crime. After he got fired from the state park job, with the money he had from that and what he earned from the sex trade, he and Jesse invested in this 22-foot-long storage shed that he called the Toy Box, hence the name Toy Box Killer. This was an escape-proof, soundproof shed with a reinforced frame. It had an AC unit so he could be comfortable while he was in there, a camera that was wired into the TV in the living room of his trailer so he had his own little personal CCTV footage thing going on, with two deadbolt locks on the outside door. Inside was a plethora of toys and torture devices. There were pulley systems, suspension chains, chains of different lengths for other purposes, ankle spreaders, knee spreaders, whips, weights. The walls were lined with satanic memorabilia because they were Satanists because they thought it added to the dark side of BDSM because why not? The walls also had a variety of drawings and diagrams of how to sexually torture women, chemicals, syringes, scalpels, saws, dildos of all shapes and sizes, even a ginormous one with spikes on it. Ow! <laughs> there was a makeshift electroshock system that he made from a house generator. There was a coffin in there with breathing holes in it. A coffin. Because, you know, all that shit just wasn't enough. And in the center of all this was a medical-grade obstetrics table, so a gynecological table that he chained his victims to. Behind that on the wall was a sign that read Satan's Den in bold red letters. And above that, on the ceiling, was a mounted mirror that he made his victims watch what was being done to them and punish them more if they didn't look at themselves. 
he spent over a hundred thousand dollars on this and this is where he would keep the girls this is when he and jesse got stupid close like disgustingly close to the point that three years after the fbi incident jesse gave birth to a daughter and she didn't have a boyfriend or anyone she was seeing at the time can you see where i'm going with this she, of course, continues to deny that David is the daddy-grandpa to her kid, but honestly, I don't believe her. She's just as twisted as he is. Moving on from that, David had a method when it came to capturing his victims. It involved going out to find a girl, whether she was walking alongside of the road, hitchhiking, if her car broke down, or if she was at a local bar called Raymond's Lounge in the neighboring town of Truth or Consequences. Yeah, that's that's the actual name of the town. I found it weird too, but <laughs> the ironies in the story just keep piling up. <laughs> he or Jesse would convince them to get into his RV by either drugging their drink if they were at the bar or by beating and blindfolding them if they were already in the RV, if they were a sex worker or something. Then he would take them home and chain them to a bed in the living room. When they would wake up from their drugged out coma, they would be greeted with the sound of a 45 minute orientation tape of David, like Jigsaw, like I said before, because we just have to have as much sinister shit as possible, explaining what was going to happen to them for the next few months or however long until they got tired of keeping them. They were blindfolded also at this time, so it's like they couldn't see shit. They couldn't move because they were chained and they just didn't know where they were and all they heard was this freaking tape. I've both listened to and read the entire transcript, and it is disturbing as shit. I have some of it that I'll read for the episode to summarize it, but seeing as it's legit 45 minutes long, I'm not going to read the entire thing because then it would be like a five hour long episode. I'll leave links in the show notes for those that want to either read the whole thing or listen to it because they have a link on YouTube for it. I am for warning you. I took a good chunk of the tape that I mished together, no paraphrasing, and like I said, it is extremely disturbing. I highly suggest that you not listen to it while eating or if you have a weak stomach in general whatsoever. Not kidding, guys. Want to keep the podcast focused on content that entertains, informs, and is mindful of your time. One way to accomplish this is direct listener support. Your support would help the show grow so much. So I've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show. The whole thing will take 30 seconds. It's glow.fm forward slash something wicked. That's glow.fm forward slash S-O-M-E-T-H-I-N-G W-I-C-K-E-D. We're asking for $3 a month, but you can contribute as much or as little as you'd like. If something wicked is part of your day or week and you love what we're doing, please go to glow.fm forward slash something wicked and support us any way you can today. It's dead simple and again, will take no more than 30 seconds. Click the link in the show notes, pay with Apple or Google Pay, and click the link of the podcast player you want to use. You can listen anywhere at any time. Happy listening!
so to get right to the nitty gritty, the girls wake up, not be able to see anything, scared to death. And the first thing they would hear is this. Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You're disoriented and scared too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while, at least. You need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you've been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture, because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993, as general advisory tape for future female captives. The information I'm going to give you is based on my experience dealing with captives over a period of several years. If, at a future date, there are any major changes in our procedures, the tape will be upgraded. Now, you're obviously here against your will. Totally hopeless. Don't know where you're at. Don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared. You're very pissed off. <laughs> I'm sure you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose. No, you can't. Knowing you're just sitting there waiting to see what's going to happen next. You probably think you're going to be raped. And you're fucking sure right about that. Our primary interest is in what you've got between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got. Because, basically, you've been snatched and brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. Sound kind of far out? Well, I suppose it is to the uninitiated, but we do it all the time. It's going to take a lot of adjustment on your part, and you're not going to like it a fucking bit. But I don't give a big rat's ass about that. It's not like you're going to have any choice about the matter. You've been taken by force, and you're going to be kept and used by force. What all this amounts to is that you're going to be kept naked and chained up like an animal, to be used and abused any time we want to, any way we want to. And you might as well start getting used to it, because you're going to be kept here and used until such a time as we get fucking tired of fucking around with you. And we will. Eventually. In a month or two, maybe three. It's no big deal. My lady friend and I have been keeping sex slaves for years. We both have kinky hang-ups involving rape, dungeon games, etc. We found that it is extremely convenient to keep one or two female captives available constantly to uh, satisfy our particular needs. We are very selective when we snatch a girl to use for these purposes. You're going to be kept in a slave room. It is relatively soundproof, escape-proof, and it is completely stocked with devices and equipment to satisfy our sexual fetishes and deviations. There may or may not be another girl in the room. Occasionally, for variety, we like to keep two slaves at the same time. In either case, as the new girl, you'll definitely be getting the most attention for a while. Now, as I've said earlier, you're going to be kept like an animal. I guess I've been doing this too long. I've been raping bitches ever since I was old enough to jerk off and tie little girls' hands behind their back. As far as I'm concerned, you're a pretty piece of meat to be used and exploited. 
I don't give a flying fuck about your mind or how you feel about this situation. You may be married, have a kid or two, boyfriend, girlfriend, a job, car payment. Fuck it. I don't give a rat's ass about any of that. And I don't want to hear about it. It's something you're going to have to deal with after you're turned loose. I make it a point to never like a slave. And I fucking sure don't have any respect for you. Here, your status is no more than that of one of the dogs. Or if you're one of the animals out in the barn, your only value to us is the fact that you have an attractive, usable body. And, like the rest of our animals, you will be fed and watered, kept in good physical condition, kept reasonably clean, and allowed to use the toilet when necessary. In return, you're going to be used hard, especially during your first few days while you're new and fresh. And you're going to be kept chained in a variety of different positions, usually with your legs or knees forced wide apart. If you're a young teeny bopper and ignorant about fetishes and deviations, you're about to get an enlightening course in sex. Who knows? You may like some of it. It happens occasionally. If it's up to my lady, we keep you indefinitely. She says it's just as much fun and less risky. But personally, I like variety. Fresh pussy now and then to play with. Variety is definitely the spice of life. Now I'm sure that you're a great little piece of ass and you're going to be a lot of fun to play with, but I will get tired of you eventually. If I killed every bitch that we kidnapped, there'd be bodies strung all over the country. And besides, I don't like killing a girl unless it's absolutely necessary. So I've devised a safe alternative method of disposal. I had plenty of bitches to practice on over the years, so I've pretty much got it well down pat. And I enjoy doing it. I get off on mind games. And we get completely through with you. You're going to be drugged up real heavy. With a combination of sodium pentothal and phenobarbital. They are both hypnotic drugs that will make you extremely susceptible to hypnosis. Autohypnosis and hypnotic suggestion. You're going to be kept drugged a couple days while I play with your mind. By the time I get through brainwashing you. You're not going to remember a fucking thing about this little adventure. You won't remember this place us or what happened to you there won't be any dna evidence because you'll be bathed and both holes between your legs will be thoroughly flushed out you'll be dressed sedated and turned loose on some country road bruised <laughs> sore all over but nothing that won't help and we heal in a week or two the thought of being brainwashed may not be appealing to you but we've been doing it a long time and it works and it's the lesser of two evils I'm sure that you would prefer that in lieu of being strangled or having your throat cut. Okay, undoubtedly somebody's going to be looking for you. There may not be a missing persons report, or there may be, but nobody's going to be looking for you here. They don't have any idea where you're at. You don't even know where you're at. We're always very careful about that. There are not going to be a knight in shining armor coming to rescue you. You are strictly on your own, and under the circumstances, I bet that is a scary thought. If there is another girl in the room, she won't be capable to help you either. But she's going to be in the same position you're in. As for escaping, I'm sure you'll try to figure out a way. That's human nature, but it's not hardly even worth talking about here. It would not be prudent on our part to have you running around in the woods screaming rape. It would be an embarrassment, to say the least. 
Consequently, you're going to be kept in an environment that is even more secure with a prison cell. If it has not already been done, very shortly a steel collar is going to be padlocked around your neck. It has a long, heavy chain that is padlocked to a ring in the floor. The collar will never be removed until you are turned loose. It is a permanent fixture. The hidden playroom where you're going to be kept has steel walls, floor, and ceiling. It is virtually soundproof and has a steel door with two keyed locks. The hinges are welded on and there are two heavy deadbolts on the outside. The room is totally escape-proof, even with tools. Anytime that you are left unattended in the room, your wrist will be chained and there are electronic sensors to uh, let us know if you move around too much. And if that's not enough, there's a closed-circuit TV system with a surveillance camera. It's wired to the main TV in the living room so we can check on you once in a while or just to set and watch you for the fun of it. Electronics is a wonderful thing. Expensive, but hell, <laughs> everything in the room is expensive and damn well worth it. If everybody knew how much it was fun to keep a sex slave, half of the women would be chained up in somebody's basement. You'll only be fed once a day, like the rest of the animals, and during the first few days, until you adjust to it and your stomach shrinks up, you're going to feel a little weak and you'll be hungry all the time. It won't take long, three or four days. And during the first few days, until you adjust to the environment, I prefer to keep you in a weakened condition anyway. Now you already know that you've been kidnapped and brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. I realize that being abducted and being forced into sexual slavery is a hard pill to swallow. Some girls really have a lot of trouble with it, and I'm sure that you will, to a certain extent. But face it, you can't get away. You can't say no. You're going to be naked all the time. You won't be able to struggle or resist. You're going to have to lay there and take it, good or bad, no matter what is being done to you. Scary thought? Yes. There are no options. Nothing that you say or do will change the fact that it's going to happen. Many girls beg and plead. Almost all of them cry a lot, especially during the first three or four days. And some of them scream and threaten. But I have a poster on the wall in the playroom that says it all. If you're worth taking, you're worth keeping. And I'm going to tell you, just so you know, since you're being kept here against your will, we will never trust anything you say, do, or promise. You are a potential threat to us, and you will always be treated as such. On numerous occasions, bitches have told me that they'd do anything I wanted them to do if I just take the chains off. I've been offered ransom money. I've even had girls tell me they liked it. But I like to use the chains. Money's not that important, and masochists are rare as hell. <laughs> I wonder what your scam's going to be. Not anything I haven't heard before. I bet if you get a chance to talk at all, well, let's change the subject a little bit. You already know that, for the most part, you're going to be kept in the playroom. But once in a while, we like to take a captive into the bedroom, in chains, of course. Also, we have a couple of real close friends that we party with once in a while. They know about our hang-ups and don't have any problem fucking with a slave. You may be required to service them occasionally, but that's an easy one. For the most part, just fucking and sucking. They don't get into the heavier stuff. However, 
when we have a party sometimes I like to put on a little show that won't like that you won't like at all you'll be taken into the living room put on the floor on your hands and knees naked your wrists and ankles and knees and hips will be strapped to a metal frame to hold your body in that position the frame is designed for doggy fucking you're gonna rub canine breeders musk on your back the back of your neck and your sex organs now I have three dogs all of them's male. One of them's a very large German Shepherd that is always horny, and he loves it when I bring him in the house to fuck a woman. This is a different world. Among our small circle of friends, like little things like rape, kidnapping, doggy fucking, stuffing like that, are everyday occurrences. Matter of fact, here anything can happen, and often does. We like living in the mountains because it's quiet secluded, private, and everybody minds their own business. The only close house belongs to our friends, and they don't hear or see anything. Okay, let's talk about uh, your training, the rules and punishment. Here, you are a slave, and discipline is extremely strict. You're going to be given a set of rules, things you can and cannot do, and will learn to comply because each time you violate a rule, you will be punished. As soon as each rule is told to you, it will become law as far as you're concerned. And know what's going to happen every time you fuck up. We'll use a couple of methods of punishment. A whip is an excellent training aid. So is an electric shock machine. Anytime you get out of line, one or both will be used on your body. The second time you violate the rule, you'll be lightly punished. And the third time you violate it, it's going to be full punishment. After the first day, we won't cut you any slack at all. We will expect total obedience. Now let's start off this right. You are a slave. You don't realize it yet, but you will eventually. I'm your master, and the lady is your mistress. You will be totally docile. You'll be very quiet, and you'll speak only when spoken to. Never initiate conversation. Any time that you are spoken to, you will be required to respond, and it will be with proper speech. Any time that you are asked a question where yes or no answer is required, you will respond by saying, yes, master, no mistress, no master, etc. You will show proper respect. Do exactly what you're told, nothing else. Remember that you are a slave, and failure to respond to a command will definitely get you in trouble. Now, I love oral sex if it's done right. You're going to be taught exactly the way I like it. Basically, it's going to be the same with your mistress. If she demands oral sex, you say yes, mistress, and respond. She will also teach you exactly the way she likes it. If during oral sex or any other time, you should bite one of us, I'm going to cut off a little bit. I'll cut off your nipple for a starter. And if it's a bad bite, I'll cut your tit off too. You cannot talk you cannot speak unless you've been given permission. I believe that rule gets more bitches in trouble than anything else because they can't keep their damn mouth shut. They always want to whine, beg, plead, try and talk me into turning them loose. I used to listen to it. I don't anymore. I enjoy blessed silence. I've already given you the basics, so there's not much to learn. But until you accept the fact that you are a slave, you're going to have problems with it. Remember that each time you fuck up, you're going to be punished. 
and after it's happened a few times, you're really going to dread it. Now I gotta tell you that there's another side of the coin. Once in a while, we get a bitch that's resentful, rebellious, won't mind, uncooperative. That doesn't work here. I'm sure that you realize you're already on thin ice. As long as you have chains on your body, don't try either one of us. It's an extremely dangerous thing to do, because if necessary, I'm capable of doing things to your body and torturing you in ways that you can't even imagine. The playroom is equipped with a full set of surgical instruments, which I have had on occasion to use and will again, as necessary. I've already told you what'll happen if you bite. To be completely safe here, you have to be docile. If you should accidentally or otherwise hurt, scratch, or kick either one of us, you could be in very serious trouble. I'm sure that you want to survive this experience, and I want you to also. But you are expendable, and it's no big deal to go out and snatch a replacement. It may sound harsh and cold, but if you give us too much trouble, or if you pose any kind of threat to us, I won't have any qualms at all about slicing your throat. Like I said before, I don't like killing the girls that we bring here, but occasionally things will happen. What can I say? I would really hate to have to dump that pretty little body of you off in a canyon somewhere to rot. I'm not trying to scare you. That's just the way it is. Most of the other nasty things that we're going to do for, to you for the most part will be done to your breasts, nipples, between your legs. The lady is fortunate. She can get off any time. She just likes to be a little sadistic with a slave once in a while. In my case, I cannot get off unless a girl is hurt. That's basically the reason I'm into rape and slavery and the reason that you're going to be subjected to a certain amount of pain. Mostly what we do to a captive is stick needles in her breasts and through her nipples, through her cunt lips, through her clit, and I'm into stretching certain things. Occasionally your clit will also be clamped and stretched and we're going to be using dildos. The dildos are going to be used a lot, more than anything else, and consequently what you're going to have the most trouble with. Many of them are long, very large in diameter, and very painful while they're being forced in. Let's see, what have I missed? Let's talk about screaming. Every once in a while, we get a screamer. Some bitch that just wants to scream all the time, and it definitely gets them in trouble, because it gets on my nerves. Very shortly, that gag is going to be removed. We live in an isolated area, so screaming is not usually a problem. In the playroom, it's not much of a problem at all because of the soundproofing. There are going to be times when you are under stress, a certain amount of stress, and you may forget, but that's no excuse. Each time you fuck up, you're going to be punished. Well, I believe I told you everything I can. I cannot predict the future. I can't predict changes of procedure. But if this tape is being played for you, I have to assume that it is reasonably accurate. I can only give you advice. Be smart and be a survivor. Don't ever scream. Don't talk without permission. Be very quiet. Be docile and obedient. And by all means, show proper respect. Have a nice day. Oh, God. Sorry. Give me a sec to get out of that mindset. That was, oh, God, that was hard. So, yeah, dude just said all that and more. Like, like I told you, it, it's a good chunk of it, but there's so much more and so much more detail that I did not put in there. It's it's terrible. 
And he did this, like he played this for the girls while they were chained up to the bed. And then he tortured them for three days to train them in the house, then take them to the toy box to be kept and brutalized for however much time until David and Jesse were bored of them. Usually, like I said, it was from anywhere from weeks to months. And the excuse that David had for making the tape is because after kidnapping so many girls for so long, he would get tired and can't be bothered to talk to them after he gets back home because the process is just too stressful and exhausting for him. And he just wants to go to sleep. <sighs> Boo-hoo. Like, poor you. God. After a time, David and Jesse felt that they needed more people in on their fun time, so they started scouting people out. The first one they found was Roy Yancey. Now, Roy was a messed up kid to begin with before he even met the two. When he was a teenager, he used to run with a group of kids that got together with the stereotypical angsty teen Satanism type thing, but they would take it a step further with sacrificing their neighbor's pets send really dark occultish type threatening letters to people that they didn't like and commit a series of petty crimes and other felonies. Fun fact, the crimes that they committed whenever one of his group got caught and questioned would always be associated with who they called this older guy named David that lived around that area. But of course, that detail was too vague to be able to possibly tie anything to David himself. So it was never looked into. Roy ended up enlisting in the Navy and, after his time there, moved back home to Truth or Consequences. He wanted to turn his life around and try to get a job, get married, settle down. But then he met Jesse at Raymond's Lounge, and they pretty much became besties. Jesse found out that Roy had used to be part of a satanic group and just kind of fangirled all over the place and used that to convince him that satanism and bdsm were tied together eh eh see what it did there <laughs> anyway she basically manipulated him into a relationship with her and her father so now they were like this trifecta of incest and twisted shit just bleh. <laughs> one of the first people that the three befriended after they all got together was a 43 year old man named Kenneth Lee, who was, as they described this flamboyantly gay drug dealer. They met him at Raymond's lounge and would hang out with him a lot and go to his apartment to do drugs and party and all that fun stuff. One day, however, Kenneth's neighbors ended up calling the cops because they were smelling this horrific stench coming from his place and just couldn't take it anymore. So the cops went to do a wellness check and walked into a hell hole. They were met with the same overwhelming stench while seeing the entire part apartment strewn with black candles and satanic symbols everywhere. They also noticed nuts, bolts, and screws everywhere. That was kind of in this path that led to the living room, like a psycho killer version of Hansel and Gretel. Follow the bolts and screws to find the candy surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so in the living room, they found Kenneth splayed out on the table, like a offering or sacrifice or whatever. His entire stomach 
was slashed wide open, like down to the squishy bits open, and with the rest of the bolts and screws stuffed inside. Oh, and can't forget the literal doorknob that was shoved up his ass. Yeah. <laughs> and the best part of this discovery, the police ruled it as su suicide due to metallic poisoning. Like, <laughs> what the hell? Not a murder, no foul play. They were just like, yeah, nope, he killed himself. Like, <laughs> how? I mean, you've got to be hopped up to another plane of existence on some heavy ass drugs in order to even consider doing something like that to yourself and surviving long enough to do it. That's just my best guess. Like, he got super high or something and was just like, I'm going to stuff myself like a turkey. That'll be fun. Like, what? <laughs> Fuck off with that. <laughs> These cops were just stupid as hell to think it was a suicide. <laughs> it's it's obvious. I'm sorry. It, even if there's no sign of fourth century struggle, nothing like that. That that just screams murder to me. Like ritualistic murder. Come on now. So none of this was looked into further. Case closed. End of story. It was suspected later on that Jesse was the one that did this and dragged Roy along with her as some type of power move. So he would have no choice but to stay with her. And it worked. Now, because David never let anyone into the toy box unless you were a victim or a captor, when he brought Roy in, it kind of sealed the deal that Jesse initiated and he was going nowhere. Roy got a phone call one day and when he picked up, his ex-girlfriend Marie Parker was on the line. Now, they they had like, I guess, a mutual breakup, so it's not like they hated each other. They still did keep in contact, but he hadn't heard from her a while. But she was telling him that she was homeless and living in a tent near the lake and wouldn't think to call him about it, but she was desperate for help. Roy also found out that she was hooked on drugs at the time and decided to use that as an opportunity to lure her to him, David, and Jesse. So he told her that he would pick her up and buy her some drugs and that she could stay with one of his friends for a little while. So he drove to the lake with David and Jesse. They got her into the RV. They beat her and drugged her and then kept her for three days in the toy box. In the meantime, when they didn't realize that there were people out looking for her, like their par her parents, her kids, the police just put this massive massive search out to find her look everywhere for her and bring her home and then we will get to what happens with marie david roy and jesse also how a fourth accomplice comes into play in part two I hope you enjoyed part one of the episode. Remember to follow me on Anchor and tune in next week when we get to part two of David Parker Ray, the Toy Box Killer. Laters!